0: My hope is in the Lord, the Lord, who gave himself for me. For me
1: Hi, this is John Heminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. It's hard to find a hotter topic for today than the subject of Christ's sermon as found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. This is the subject of Jesus' teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Covering what Jesus said will take some time, so we better get right to it. Pastor Jones is simply entitled the message, Christ Speaks to the Permanence of Marriage.
0: Well, it's good to be with you again on the Beacon of Hope broadcast, and I come today to one of the most controversial sermons that Jesus ever preached, and it's dealing with the permanence of marriage. I realize that um, uh, many of you may be actually offended when you listen to what Jesus had to say about sexuality, and about marriage. Um, And if you've been listening in recent weeks, you'll recall that I've been doing a series for many weeks now about the sermons that Jesus actually preached himself while he was on earth. And I've often uh, said and acknowledged that, uh, and many of us suspect this, and I think it's very true, that uh, Christianity has in many ways morphed from what Jesus originally taught into something that we think will be more palatable for society as we know it and this is not a new thing this has been going on I'm sure for hundreds of years and I'm not here to say by any stretch that I'm the only one right and everybody else is wrong Um, but I will tell you that this is one of the messages of Christ that is going to um, uh, really cut uh, deeply in today's society in lots of of ways Um, for instance um, for those of you that may be considering a, a divorce right now Uh, Jesus is going to speak very powerfully to that as he deals with the permanence of marriage. For those of you who are considering remarriage after a divorce, again, Jesus is going to say some things that you're probably not going to want to hear, but I would encourage you to listen. If you're remarried after a divorce, I'd encourage you to, um, you've already done that, I'd encourage you to listen until the very end of this message. Uh, for there is um, great hope for you. Some of you have stayed out of church because you have gone through a divorce and maybe remarried and you feel like you are ostracized from God and from his church. And may I tell you, encourage you to, again, listen to the end of this message because uh, there is a great hope for you. Um, The child of a divorced uh, couple. Uh, It's a very difficult thing that many of you have experienced, and you know the pain of this, and you probably remember times when you begged God to bring your parents back together and can't figure out why God didn't answer those prayers. I'd encourage you to listen, even though this, again, may bring back some painful memories. Uh, Some of you um, are wondering what Jesus thinks on the gender issue. Uh, Actually, that's addressed in this sermon. Others may be wondering what Christ thinks of homosexual marriage, and honestly, there's an application about that in this message. So, We're often tempted to want to change what Jesus said, and by God's grace, I'm not going to do that, trying to just give you as best I can understand what our Lord said. And So before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Help me to be faithful to your word, help people to listen with an open heart. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, when we proclaim the truth, that there will be a cutting between those who want to hear it and those who really would rather have their ears scratched. And so we just pray we'd be faithful. To say what you want said in the way you want it said, Lord, help me to be compassionate, even as we deal with some very difficult and sensitive issues. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, there's a background of this message. It's in where I'm in Matthew chapter 19, by the way, and so the first two verses give us the background of this sermon. It says, "And now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there." And so briefly, Jesus had just left his kind of native area of Galilee, that's where he grew up, and he's now coming down to Judea beyond the Jordan, and uh, that area is um, uh, down where Jerusalem would be, and it's more toward the capital, it would be the hotbed of Judaism uh, throughout the world. And now he's um, great multitudes are still following him, so I'm sure that's making a stir, and also he's healing many people, which is going to cause even more people to come. And so all of that is going on as we come to verse 3 in the beginning of this message. We have what what I would call a troublesome question. Uh, It says, The Pharisees also came to him testing him, or attempting him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, the motivation. Well, there's a stated motivation, and that is they were there to tempt or to test Jesus. Um, however, there there may have been a, another motive behind their question. Uh, the forerunner of Jesus, a guy by the name of John the Baptist, had gotten um, had spoken out against the remarriage of of a man who was uh, ruling over a, a, that region or region near there, and that is his name was Herod Antipas. And John had had um, had said to Herod that he was wrong for marrying his brother's wife. He took his brother's wife from him and uh, married her, and uh, there were, that was obviously incest. And so John spoke out against it on, a, on multiple grounds, uh, adultery and incest, taking his brother's wife. And so uh, Herod didn't seem to have as much problem with it as his wife Herodias did, and as a result, John the Baptist is arrested, and eventually Herodias works to get her husband to, um, to kill and execute John the Baptist in prison. And so it's very possible that the, that the um, motivation for the Pharisees is to try to get Jesus in trouble, uh, maybe even with Herod, to go back with him if, as Jesus speaks out on the permanence of marriage. And, and so there's also a religious controversy that um, you need to be aware of, and that is there were two different rabbis, and I, I won't uh, give you the, the names of them, but uh, they were very, very famous men. They'd lived uh, in, in a time before Christ, and um, one of them, uh, well, I'll give you his name. His name is Shammai, uh, and another guy whose name was Hillel. They uh, they were um, they were saying opposites on this issue of marriage and divorce. And the Shammaites uh, interpreted the law rigidly. They permitted a man to divorce his wife only if she was guilty of sexual immorality. And it all will kind of run around a certain passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and we'll try to get there here momentarily. Now, there was another guy, his name was Hillel, and a very famous rabbi in his own right as well. And he took a wholly pragmatic approach and permitted a man to divorce his wife for basically any reason, even including burning the meal. And so he was basically the no-fault divorce guy. So Hillel is teaching you can divorce your wife uh, for no fault, and and, and uh, Shammai was teaching no, you can only divorce your wife in the case of, of sexual immorality or adultery. Now, if you're living in that day, and you, you're one of the disciples, because they're going to enter into this uh, message you'll see in a few moments, if you're one of the disciples and you're walking with Jesus, knowing his character, do you think Jesus would would say, "Well, no fault divorce is right," or do you think he'd fall on the side of the rabbi who uh, would say, "No, no, only in, in the in the gross cases where, where there's immorality involved uh, would you have the right to divorce your wife." Well, I, I knowing uh, my my own personal study of the scriptures and and uh, you know studying the life of Christ and his his attitude and teaching. I'm convinced that if I was one of those disciples, I would definitely have expected Jesus to side with the rabbi Shammai, who had said, no, only in the cases of sexual immorality should you ever divorce your wife. Uh, What actually took place, as you get into the context, is Jesus didn't agree with either one of those rabbis. He had something even even different than what they were teaching. And so Christ now has this question in front of him. Um, He's, again, very popular right now. And yet um, they're trying to test him or tempt him, get him in trouble by asking him this question and trying to maybe even see where he's going to fall compared to these two rabbis. One saying you could divorce only in the case of sexual immorality. The other saying that you could divorce in the case of of uh, whatever you wanted. And uh, so no fault divorce. And the key passage that they were using would be Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. Now, let me go ahead and just uh, read from that passage so you understand where the controversy would be. This, again, Old Testament law, uh, written by Moses, for about 1400 BC, and uh, he writes this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds uh, no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house... When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who is who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife. After that, she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, that's, again, if, if you have it in front of you, you, you'd have a better chance of understanding what he's saying. But what it is, it's a long scenario. And what the scenario would be, would, would be uh, involving is, okay, here's a man and his wife, and they're not getting along for whatever reason. And how it, it, it falls is there's uh, some uncleanness in her. And now that issue of uncleanness, that's where the rabbis would disagree. The the um, Hillel people, people who followed him, that uncleanness could be something, again, like burning the meal. It's anything that I don't like. And so, therefore, they would have in their minds the right to divorce your wife if you found something you didn't like in her. Now, Shammai is looking at that word uncleanness, and he's saying, no, 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 that's that's something, something along the idea of sexual immorality. Maybe she married him, and she had been with another man before their marriage, and he didn't know that. Maybe that's ground for a divorce, um, or she's done something immoral during their marriage. The only problem of of thinking that, and this is where you could come back and say, well, maybe Hillel was right, is you'd say, well, if it was adultery, if she commits adultery during the marriage, then that's punishable by death under Jewish law. So what is the uncleanness? Well, again, it could have been that she, maybe she was with a man and the guy didn't know that before they married. That might be something. Or um, some other sexual thing that may not have come to adultery, but was certainly shady and was not right, maybe in that way. Um, if you were arguing from Shammai's position, so that's where the debate was. And um, what's interesting, though, when you look at this passage, it's one big scenario, is what it really is. And it's a scenario that, on, quite honestly, um, if you or I was were, a, and this is where, if you're a child of parents who are divorced, this would be frustrating to you because what he said is, okay, here's a couple; they're married. Maybe they have, maybe they have several children. You don't know. And now, all of a sudden, the, the man finds some uncleanness, and however you want to define that, he, he decides that, that he has the right to divorce her, so he writes her the bill of divorcement, and she leaves. Now, in that society, women don't have the rights that they do today. Thank God for uh, the Christian understanding. It's been slander today, but in Christian understanding, we have different functions in society. I'm not going to bear children Um, uh, there's certain, uh, spiritual leadership that men do take, but the reality is God looks at us as equals, absolutely uh, equal just with different roles. So, all right, in in Jewish society, uh, although there may have been, um, a, a tacit understanding of that, uh, really the, the women did not have the ability to make money anywhere near like the men did. And so for a woman to be divorced from her husband was was almost sure impoverishment. And so you'll notice that God is allowing for her to get remarried. But again, he's not actually saying she should. This is the scenario. Here's a woman. She's gotten divorced from her husband. She goes off and remarries. It's part of the scenario. And now as she has entered into this second marriage, her husband either divorces her or he dies. So she is now considered single again. Now, again, if I'm a child from that original home, mom and dad have divorced, they've broken up. uh, I could just tell you how children uh, feel about this, and many of you understand me completely. If at all possible, if, if your mom and dad, if you love them both, you really want them back together. And so, you would think that God would allow In that scenario, this woman has uh, been divorced. Now, she's gone off, married another man. Let's say her husband or second husband dies. If I'm the child, man, I'm hoping, oh, mom and dad, maybe get back together again. And God says specifically here under that scenario, no, she cannot remarry her first husband. And let me read to you again. Then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife And now it gives a couple reasons here. After that, she has been defiled. What God is expressing here is that when she remarried, there was a defilement that took place. Now that should tell us something about how God feels about the permanence of marriage, something that the rabbis didn't seem to grab onto. But be that as it may, he says that she is after she's been defiled, for that is an abomination for, before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land. God is saying, You're going to actually cause the nation to have problems if we allow a divorce, um, and then she remarries somebody else, and then she goes back to her original husband. Why? Because what God is saying is, it's, it's going to lessen, it's going to cheapen the bond of marriage. That, that divorce in God's mind. And by the way, this was already going on. God wasn't saying they should divorce. He was saying, this is what's happening. He's saying, you cannot let her go back to original husband. It is cheapening the law of marriage. It's cheapening the sacredness of marriage. That's really what God was doing here. He was trying to, he was trying to limit the issue of divorce and, 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 which was already going on and trying to bring it under some kind of a binder. Now, what Jesus does, he doesn't start with this passage at all. When they ask him on his view, on if he agrees with, uh, you know, does he he think that it's okay to to divorce and under every reason, or should it be more restrictive, he doesn't go to Deuteronomy. He goes back to the Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and goes back to the creation of man and the first marriage. Now, listen to what he says. Verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, let's just stop there for a second and realize that what Jesus is saying here is God established the genders. Today, we have much controversy that's been stirred up by very foolish people who are making an absolute denial of what is called the gender binary. If you want to Google gender binary. You're going to find all kinds of articles and statements saying how bad this is. The fact that someone is definitely a male or definitely a female by birth. But let me tell you, when Jesus speaks to it, he says he says that God established two genders. He said God established male and female. Let me read to you again. He made them at the beginning. Made them male and female. Jesus has spoken to this. There are just two genders. And that gender was assigned to you by God himself because he made you that way. You say, well, I don't like the gender that I am. I I think I belong to another gender. Can I tell you this? You're listening to a lie. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. God is God. He made you who he wanted you to be. And it doesn't matter what man says. And it's rather interesting to me, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but even on the halls of Congress, one of the new new things that our, our, our um, uh, uh, Congress has done is now they've said that you cannot use terms like brother, sister, father, mother, uh, terms that indicate the gender binary on the floor of Congress. And I, I would just tell you, by God's grace, if I was a congressman man, or, or a congresswoman at this point, I would violate that law routinely on purpose because no government has the right to tell us what we're going to say, the pronouns we're going to use. You say, well, I could offend somebody. Uh, the government's job is not to make, to make me, uh, by the way, looked upon as, as following their social norms. And the reality is I don't believe I'm helping people to say that a man is a woman or a woman is a man. I don't think I'm helping them one iota. I think I'm actually contributing to their con- continued deception. And I know what Jesus is saying here is not popular, but it's still true. God established two genders, and only two. God also established the marriage relationship. I'll, I'll let Jesus go on. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now you'll notice it's, ma- it's marriage between a male and a female. The man is joining to his wife. And no, there's no question in Jesus' mind or in that society what Jesus is talking about. Now you'll notice that God established the marriage relationship. Now, why do I say that? He says a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife; they two shall become one flesh. By the way, he's quoting Genesis 2:24, which at the end of the of the um, the whole passage dealing with the very first marriage, which God Himself put together. The Bible says that God brought the woman to the man. God actually performed the first marriage ceremony. God then is the inventor of love, he's the inventor of sexuality, and he's the inventor of marriage. And so as he brings Adam and Eve together, and, and now Moses makes this, this statement, under inspiration of God, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined or cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And that is what God is saying should happen in a marriage. So Jesus is quoting that. Then in the next verse, he says this, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Okay, so the sexual union, as part of that marriage covenant, it's it's in the bonds of marriage. So God established uh, the marriage relationship. Um, and can I tell you that it's more important than the parent-child relationship? You say, why do you, why do I say that? Because in verse 5, he said, for this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying that at some point when you get married, your parent-child relationship is of less importance because you're leaving them. You're leaving that relationship as your primary relationship. And you're joined to your wife. You're forming a new family. And so our children are meant to eventually, if God blesses them with, with, with a spouse, they're meant to, to leave our that relationship as the primary relationship. And they are meant to to then establish a marriage, and that being the primary relationship. So we know that the, that the parent-child relationship is, is of less importance than the husband-wife relationship. And I want you to, to uh, keep in mind then that that means that the marriage relationship is the foundational relationship for the good of human society. And this is why it is such a wicked thing when we in the United States today and many other countries in the world are doing the same thing, are saying, well, we're going to define marriage the way we want to define it. We're not going to let God define it. We're going to say it can be between a man and a man. It can be between a woman and a woman. Uh, who are we to say you can't love someone else? Well, let me just say this. Just because, so I had a friend of mine who um, was said to me one day, he said, well, he said, uh, to be honest with you, he said there are people that have desires, men that have desires for other men, and women have desires for other women. I'm not quoting him exactly, but that was what he was saying. And so I said, "Well, let me ask you a question: Have you ever had desires for someone who was not your wife?" And he knew what I was driving at. It, uh, obviously, he had. I mean, there's there's not one of us who does has not viewed someone who are married and we've viewed someone who is not our spouse, and we've said, "Well, that's an attractive woman, or that's an attractive man." Does that attraction? Does that desire make it right? And the answer is obviously no. That to be married and to be loyal to my marriage is more important than for me to get what I want at that moment. And so all of us who are married understand what it's like to say, well, okay, that may be an attractive woman or that's an attractive man, but that's not my spouse. I'm going to be loyal to the commitment and the covenant that I have made before God. And 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 so I'm not even going to entertain that desire. That is exactly why you just say, well, someone has a desire for a person of their own sex. That doesn't make it right. Yes, I'm not denying that they can have that desire, but just having the desire doesn't make it right any more than it would be right for me to, to uh, desire somebody else's wife. I, I, it, it, may, it may run through your mind, may run through your heart. You don't entertain that. You don't follow that because it would be wrong. So merely saying that people have certain desires and therefore that must be accounted for, it must be made, made, made uh, excused for, is, is absolutely unbiblical. Jesus is saying, that God created male and female, and he says this, they're no longer two but one flesh, and they're supposed to leave their parents behind, and they're supposed to then be joined to each other. And so one of the major mistakes couples make today is they build their home around the kids instead of building the home around the marriage because the kids are meant to leave. And sometimes that means that the parents hang on like with with their fingernails on the kid's back when the child uh, begins to... uh, express the desire to marry. There have been many parents over the years who have absolutely uh, uh, been very, very destructive uh, on their children when they desire to marry. And why? Because they're building their lives around them. And that's not the way. The primary relationship, the foundational relationship for human society is the marriage relationship, and we better do it God's way. Now, the sexual union of a man and a woman is sacred then to the marriage relationship, A man leaves his father and mother, and he is joined to his wife. He cleaves his wife, and that's talking about the sexual relationship. But then what Jesus also says is that God is the one who unites the couple, God himself. He says, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together. Some people think, well, I wasn't married in a church. I was married by the justice of, a peace, of the peace, or I got married um, you know, uh, in some different way. Am I, am I married in the eyes of God? And the answer is, if you went through the legal channels of your nation, whatever it is, and your, your society, the legal channels, so you would be considered legally married in, in, in this government, okay? I went through the justice of the peace, or then you are legally married in the sight of God. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to happen in a church what God is saying is if you have come together in the marriage relationship as is understood by your society what God has joined then God has joined you together God accepts and acknowledges that marriage but then he says something else and that is he forbids anyone including yourself he forbids anyone from breaking that relationship here's how he puts it what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is saying God has established marriage. God acknowledges it when people are married. And God says to everyone else, keep your hands off it. I say this to those of you that may know and have a friend or a loved one, and they're struggling in their marriage. And maybe they're going through very difficult times. And you've said something like this to them. You've said, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to be with such a bum. There's more fish in the sea. You ought to just divorce him and move on. Can I tell you this? You are violating what Jesus said here. He said what well, God has joined together. Let no man separate. Don't you step in between those people and tell them they ought to leave. Some of you say, you've, "Well, you have a, a a friend down at work. This person's maybe he's a married guy, and he's been talking to you about all the woes of his marriage, and you've become um, uh, emotionally attached to him as you've been trying to counsel him and trying to help him get back with his wife." But the reality is, in that whole process, you're being attracted to this man, and you're wondering if I should, if I should uh, just go ahead and let him divorce his wife because she's so nasty to him, and I, I think I could do a better job. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no one separate. God says you are to forsake your, your parents for this relationship. You are, to, you are acknowledged by God when you, uh, when you marry that, that person. And when you are, are married in the sight of God, then you have no right, and neither does anyone else, to separate you. You need to develop that relationship, you need to work at that relationship, um, and you need to realize that, that God is the one who established it. So I think it's rather clear what Jesus has to say here. So then they are no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. We say it today, till death do us part. And that um, really accurately reflects what Jesus is saying here. And that's why we get it, that's why we have that in Christian marriage. Um I, how I word it in my ceremony is so the Lord comes or death shall part us that's the commitment that's the vow now um, there's a follow-up question if you could you can imagine um, this is totally different than where these men thought Jesus was going to go and so um, the crowd the the, uh, the 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 religious leaders are saying they said to him why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away see that's going back to Deuteronomy 24 um so the the um the question really has two objections. number one, why the command to write a bill of divorcement? Why does that happen in the first place? Can I tell you that as we read through there, it was a scenario this was already something that had already happened what jesus what 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 the Lord was saying in deuteronomy twenty four is here's a man he's divorced his wife, she has remarried somebody else that that second marriage falls apart either because of death of of the spouse or or he divorces her. Now she can't come back. That's that. God was not saying that it was a good thing for the couple to divorce in the first place. Now the second question is why the allowance for divorce? Okay, so he says, um, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Why are why did why was this allowance made? Now um, Jesus' answer is is interesting. Verse eight, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives he's saying look god didn't want this when god established that's why jesus goes back to genesis chapter 2 talking about the permanence of marriage as god originally created it he's saying this wasn't something that god wanted because of the hardness of the hearts because of how wicked you were as a society he's saying god allowed it he permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning Jesus, that's why I went back to Genesis chapter 2, it was not so. And so what Jesus is doing is he is establishing new grounds. He's establishing new rules concerning marriage than what were under the Mosaic law. You say, well, why would there be new rules? Because as Christians today, we have something that the Old Testament saints didn't have, and that is the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the ability to walk with God and obey Him, we have more revelation, and we have the Holy Spirit Himself living within us as Christians, and so we do not. Uh, we're held to a higher standard. Now, um, I want you to, to to keep reading. So He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, uh, permitted you, allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, and this is one of the things that Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount continually. He would correct something or, or 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 raise it to a higher standard by saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. This is the same idea here. He says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Wow. Now, um, very interesting what Jesus has to say. First of all, he's saying divorce was allowed because of the hardness of people's hearts in the Old Testament. He's saying also divorce was never in God's design for marriage. And he's saying also now uh, that uh, that remarriage after divorce is adultery. Now, if, if you're hearing this maybe for the first time, you're saying, well, hold on, hold on. Didn't Jesus say... Um, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now that's how it is in the New King James. But let me uh, let me tell you that in the original language, which was uh, Greek, the original language of the um, New Testament was Greek. The word sexual immorality here is actually the word pornea uh, uh, in Greek. And pornea is a rather interesting word. It It's a word that quite honestly can involve sexual immorality, and it's a it's a decent way to kind of give the general term, but it also can be very highly specific depending on the context. Uh, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it was used of the sin of incest. It can also be associated with prostitution. And so the question is, what does Jesus mean when he says... Um, Whoever divorces his wife, except for this word pornea, except for that term, um, and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries who who is divorced commits adultery. So uh, clearly, at the end of the verse, he says, if you marry someone who's divorced, you've committed adultery. And that would fit with Deuteronomy 24, where it says that the woman who has married someone else, she's been defiled and she cannot come back to her first husband. Now, um, uh, I will tell you that there is a great controversy, and I will tell you this, that as I'm preaching this to you, the best as I can understand what Jesus has to say, um, my position is, if you went down to a, to a Christian bookstore, you got online, and you, you uh, looked up Christian books on the issue of divorce and remarriage, my position would be the minority position today. And I, but I will tell you why I believe that what Jesus was saying here is he's saying that marriage is permanent, okay, it's still death due to your part, and if you divorce your spouse, or your spouse divorces you, and you marry someone else while they're still alive, because death hasn't parted you, that you're actually breaking that marriage covenant, and you are committing adultery. What, no, why do I say that?
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the
0: message. Okay, let me just take a moment to review where we've been. We had that troublesome question. Okay, is there no-fault divorce? The rabbis were teaching a couple different things. Or is it when um, uh, she's committed adultery against me, when, when do I have the right to divorce? And Jesus takes a different tactic than what you would expect, because the big controversy was over what uncleanness means in Deuteronomy 24. Well, Jesus instead goes right back to Genesis at the creation of marriage, and says that God established the genders, that God established the marriage relationship, which is more important than the parent-child relationship, that the sexual union is then inside the marriage bond, that the couple are united by God himself, and God forbids anyone from breaking this relationship. And so then there's that follow-up question. Well, then why did Moses um, command to write a bill of divorcement in Deuteronomy 24 is what they're talking about. So why the allowance for divorce? And Jesus' answer is that the, the hardness of the hearts of the people was the reason why, because the rampant divorce was already going on in Moses' day. This was actually a command to limit it somewhat, but God is still allowing it to go on in some regard, trying to trying to minimize, trying to limit it um, because of the hardness of people's hearts. You see, we, they didn't have what we have today as Christians, and that is we have the, the Holy Spirit to help us, they didn't have that in that day. We also have the completed Word of God, and so a divorce was never in God's design for marriage. Jesus said, and remarriage after divorce is adultery. Now, some of you may be saying, "Well, Pastor uh, Pastor Jones, you're you're arguing for something that the vast majority of Christian preachers would would disagree with." And I, I am I am fully aware of that. But let me give you four major ways you interpret Scripture. This, these are basic ways when you're being taught for the ministry that you are to interpret the Bible. Number one, each text of Scripture can stand alone. Number two, the clear passage determines the meaning of a more difficult one. Number three, Scripture never contradicts itself. And four, Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, how does that enter into how do these four principles enter into this discussion? Jesus is quoted on speaking on adultery in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke. And the Apostle Paul summarizes his teaching in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11. In the Gospel of Matthew, you have this exception of the word uh, that sometimes many of your translations are going to have sexual immorality. Again, we talked about the word is pornea, uh, which is a word that depends on the context. It could be incest, it could be prostitution, it could be just normal sexual immorality. And so we really don't know what that word means there. So the first, uh, one of those characteristics is you, when you have an unclear passage that we're not exactly sure what that means, you, you determine what that means by other passages that might enter in that are clear. And those other passages have no exception whatsoever. Paul's uh, listing of Jesus' uh, teaching is without exception. As a matter of fact, he says what Jesus taught is that uh, that man should not divorce his wife and a woman should not divorce her husband, and that if they uh, were having severe problems, that they may she may have to leave her husband but remain unmarried, or else be reconciled. That is Paul summarizing Jesus' teaching. So when you look at the clear interpreting the unclear, it is obvious that um, that Jesus' teaching is no that that this is a permanent bond. Until death. If you look at the other uh, two gospels, we have that principle come in that each uh, passage of Scripture can stand on its own. And so, if you were, for instance, the original audience of the Apostle Mark's um, uh, writings, uh, John Mark, who, who was uh, not one of the 12 apostles, but was certainly part of that apostolic community, when you got his gospel, uh, you'd have been seeing that there is no uh, remarriage if you, are, if you have divorced your spouse. And so that passage has to stand on its own. Man, Matthew's not going to contradict that. That's another one of those uh, major uh, teachings. So we have to harmonize. And and so we realize that even at the end of the of verse 9, whoever marries who is divorced commits adultery, clearly Jesus is not saying that in every circumstance you have to live with your spouse. But what he is saying is exactly what Paul is summarizing in 1 Corinthians 7, and that is if, if you do have to depart you remain unmarried unless or until you're able to reconcile. Now, why is this so important? Let me tell you a true story that happened about 50 years ago. Here's a family of five kids. Um, husband and wife um, are not are struggling. The, the man is, is a mean man. He just is. He's a mean man. He's got a quick temper. He's got a, a, a violent tongue. He's verbally abusing his wife um, and his kids. And it's got to the place where, I don't know if there's physical abuse that's going on, but it's got to the place where the mom is concerned, I think, more for her kids even than for herself. And so she packs the kids in the car. And imagine this scene as she's driving down the driveway and her husband sees her leaving with the kids and is literally trying to chase the car down. And think of those five little kids. Youngest is about five up to oh maybe maybe 1112 um, and they're watching their father chasing the car down in anger trying to catch them and mom gets away what does mom do mom mom doesn't seek out a new relationship she tries to make it as best she can what does dad do well dad did not in, in this case he did not seek a, a different relationship. In this case, he realized that the love of his life just drove down the driveway and that he's been acting like a fool. And although this man was not a believer at the time, and I don't know if he ever came to become a believer, he did one thing very right here, and that is he sought some help. And so he went to some people, I think some psychiatrists or psychologists, who could at least give him some tactics of dealing with his anger. didn't change his heart, but it did help him deal with this somewhat. And so he got some help. The day came when mom feels like she can trust dad again. And there's going to be a reunite, reuniting of this broken family. And I want you to imagine this scene now. Here comes dad trying to walk back into the home, shamed and rightly so for his behavior. And who comes up and greets him first but the little five-year-old daughter runs out to her father, throws her arms around him, and says something along the idea of, Daddy, I love you. Do you think that little five-year-old girl, do you think the other kids even asked God to bring Dad back home? Maybe some of the older ones were we're wondering if it was a good idea or not. You, you those of you that have been through those waters, you'd understand better than me. What I'm telling you is a true story because I I know personally the five year old. No longer five years old today. In that case, you have a parents that again, I'm not even sure that they were born again Christians, but they did they did work at that marriage, and that marriage did hold. And although the man never became a perfect man and always did struggle with his temper and his tongue, he was able to raise his five kids. And every one of those five kids have have had stable jobs, stable marriages, and have raised their kids to be stable young people. I wish I could say that that every story had a happy ending. You know as well as I do, they don't. And I cannot say that every uh, in every case you could trust the man to come back home. But I can tell you this, that what God is telling us as a society is it is much, much better when people work at their marriages and give every effort to save their marriages and honor this sacred institution than when they get frustrated and two people who honestly, genuinely could love each other walk away and, and really... The ones that get damaged are the children. Let me tell you one other thing that, that I've heard, and, and uh, again, this is true. A jail, a number of years ago, had a, um, a prom- promotion that they did for some of the inmates, and that is on Mother's Day, they offered cards for those that wanted to um, uh, write, a, write a note for Mother's Day to their mom. And it was very popular. Many of the inmates uh, took a card and they wrote to their, uh, his, his, I think most of them were men, wrote to his mom and, and and tried to say something nice. Well, it went so well that the people in the jail said, why don't we do the same thing for Father's Day? It was coming up, you know, about a month later. And so they offered the same thing and almost no one took a Father's Day card. Almost no one. Why? So many people who are in rebellion against society are coming out of homes where the dad is either gone or he is abusive. And the relationship between the father and the son is severed. And I would just say again that it is so important that marriages hang together and that fathers learn to love their wives and love their children and Jesus is right when he says, listen, you, when you enter into this sacred institution, it's till death. You need to make that kind of a commitment to the Lord and to your uh, spouse, and of course to the children come behind, because, because the second generation, those children are the ones that are going to really be uh, blessed or, or go through all kinds of problems based upon what mom and dad decide to do on this sacred institution of marriage.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Hawkins Baptist Church. Now back to the
0: message. And so, um, now another thing that indicates that this that Jesus was raising the bar to not just uh, if, if if your spouse is unfaithful, you can divorce them. To actually saying till death do us part. Uh, is the reaction of the disciples. Again, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to side with Shamel. He's going to say that, all right, only in the cases of, of sexual immorality. But notice the reaction of the disciples was, his disciples said to him, if such is the case with the, uh, of the man at, with his wife, if it's really like Jesus, like you're saying, it is better not to marry. Why, Jesus, if the standard is that high, maybe we just better skip marriage altogether. That's a shocked response. By the way, that response is only recorded in Matthew, which is the only place where this supposed exception is mentioned. I think it makes it clear that the disciples did not get the answer they were expecting. They got a higher standard, which is the standard of, of only at death this marriage uh, should marriage be dissolved. And you'll notice that Christ, in, in answer to them, does not lower the standard. But he said unto them, and I'm reading now in Matthew 19, verse 11, but he said unto them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, uh, people, again, who will not marry, not conceive children, who were born thus from their mother's womb. So you have some with with physical issues, or maybe they never truly desire um, to be married. There are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men, and that sometimes happens, especially in the ancient world. And there are eunuchs who have been uh, made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to receive it, let him receive it. So the idea is, is that, hey, I'm not lowering the standard. If you don't want to get married, you don't have to. The standard is till death parts us. Now, um, let me hasten to some questions. First of all, someone may say, well, I've already remarried. You know, what, what about me? Maybe you've been sitting out of church for years because you, you say, well, this is exactly what, what I've been thinking, and that is that God has given up on me because, because I've, um, I, I've sinned by, by divorcing my, my spouse and, and, and getting remarried. Um, have you sinned? Yes, you have. I, I'm not going to deny that. That's what Jesus said. But let me ask you this. Have I ever sinned? And the answer is absolutely yes. If, if only sinless people would come to church, no one comes to church. And so what do you do when you sin against God? You confess. If you haven't been saved yet, you need to accept Christ as Savior. But if you have accepted Christ and you have been born again, simply tell him, God, I was wrong, and God will forgive you. Well, then you say, well, what about my current marriage? Well, be loyal to it. Do you realize that God does accept that remarriage? Some of the best people in my church that I pastor are people that have been through these tragic grounds and and the uh whether before their conversion or after in some cases their conversion, these are difficult times now, I never counsel a couple to get divorced because Jesus told me he said what what God has joined together, let no man separate and so I do not dare to tell people to divorce and I've walked with people uh who have been members of my church and and we don't kick them out because their spouse rejects them. We work at the marriage if at all possible, we try our best to to, to strengthen them. And, and I don't kick them in the teeth if they remarry. I understand that Jesus has said that it's in all likelihood that's gonna happen. Uh, but we don't, we don't, um, we don't condone it. We're not going to, I'm not going to perform a remarriage of somebody who's got a living spouse. And, and so I let my people know that. But I love them. And, and God forgives. And, and the church has to still reach out to, to people. If, if only perfect people came, then, then, um, no one comes. Now, I would encourage you, all right, you say, well, what if I married the wrong person? And I know I shouldn't have done, I married the wrong person. Well, let me just say this. God expects you to keep your vow. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 to 6. You've made a vow to another person, keep that vow. Don't violate it. You've made a promise now to someone else, God expects you to keep that promise. God is forgiving, and can I tell you, God is gracious. If if Let me give you this scenario. How about you have a man he sees a beautiful woman, not his own. He's he. Uh, she's married to another man. He commits adultery with her and then murders her husband, and then he marries her. You think maybe, just maybe, um, that marriage was not ordained of God? Well, obviously, God did not tell the man to commit adultery in the first place. He did not tell the man to kill the woman's Um, husband, and he does not not agree with uh, such actions that brought about the marriage to this woman. That was King David. Many of you may remember and recognize that story. King David married Bathsheba under those conditions, committing adultery while her husband was alive, murdering her husband, and then taking his wife. If there was ever a marriage that should not have been established, it was that Did God forgive him? The answer is absolutely yes. God forgave David. David got his heart right with the Lord. And and David and Bathsheba, we we know of four children that that the Lord blessed them with. Now, they did lose a child in infancy, and that was a tragedy. And they went through many heartaches um, because of what David had done. And so it's not like this was no big deal It was a big deal, and God then did judge David harshly. But I will tell you this, that two of their children you should know about. Number one was Solomon. Solomon would be the wisest man that ever lived. That was David and Bathsheba's son. He became the next king of Israel after his father. And we still have the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon from this man Solomon, who was used of God greatly, not a perfect man by any stretch, but was used of God greatly. He was one of the children of David and Bathsheba. A second son that you would not know much about, his name is Nathan. But why you should know Nathan's name is because if you trace the genealogy of Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary comes from Nathan. Nathan is an ancestor of Mary, Jesus' mother. And when you put it together, Solomon, by the way, is an ancestor of Joseph, Jesus' stepdad. Both sides of Jesus' family, although Joseph, again, is a stepfather, Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit, but Joseph's stepfather and Joseph's blood mother, Mary, are both descendants of David's union with Bathsheba. Now, God would have never approved of that, of the way it happened, but God forgave and God blessed them. And so... Uh, you may have this question. Why did God leave this exception clause in if, if, if God uh, didn't want people to to um, have a chance to remarry? And let me just say this. I think one of the reasons why there is confusion on this and why it's, it's not bad to have some confusion on this is because we as Christians, it, we have to be careful that we're not too hard on people who've been through these difficult waters. This is a very difficult thing. And so... We have to be loving, and, and I think we'd be too hard if, if there wasn't some controversy on this issue. Finally, you may be asking, well, why such a high standard? Why, why would God have such high standards on marriage and sexuality as, as well? What's the big deal about this? And I'll answer by going to the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. And as I'm turning there, it's in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Let me just tell you that the context is that there were people, specifically even priests, leaders of, 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 of God, supposed leaders of God, who had married wives in their youth. And and as they're getting into their middle ages, you can imagine, a woman may have several children, and she's not what she used to be. And they're now finding these Gentile, many times pagan women, and marrying them and really divorcing their wives so they can marry somebody younger. And God calls them out on this. Why did he hate this so much? Listen to, this is is Malachi chapter two, verse 13 to 15. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. He's saying you're worshiping in all this fervency and God says, I hate it. Why? You say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So God is saying, you've been disloyal to your wife. Why? And did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? And he's talking about back in Genesis 2. Why did God give Adam only one wife? Why only Eve? And why only Adam? Notice it. He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. You know why God guards marriage so badly, so, so strongly and so fiercely it's, and says, keep your hands off it? Because he cares about the kids. The kids are the one that get hurt. I beg you to be faithful to your marriage covenant for God's sake and for the sake of your children. May God bless you.
1: To those of you for whom this message has stirred up some painful memories, let me encourage you to remember the cross. The Bible is clear that we have all sinned and fallen woefully short of God's glory. Jesus came to earth to die for sinners like you and me, and his blood will cover all your sin if you'll just turn to him in repentance and faith. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at hawkinsbaptistchurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. And everlasting life and light He free.